Hi, welcome everyone, and welcome to episode number two of the Parenting Women podcast. I'm your host, Lisa Jacobus. During today's show, I'll plan to share a little bit more about myself and one of my many vices as a parent. We'll also talk about how to handle toddler tantrums and hitting, as well as how to manage our own emotions in these very challenging situations. Then we'll end with my parenting moment for the week. So I hope you enjoy the show. Hi, and thank you again for joining me. I'm so glad you came back to listen. And if this is your first time tuning in, welcome. So since last week's show, a few folks asked, why are there two ends in win? So I thought I would explain. Well, the short answer is that before I got married, my last name was Wynn. I honestly cannot take credit for coming up with the name as it was definitely the creative work of my two good friends, Sarah and Nancy. I'm not exactly sure which one of them came up with the name, so I'm just going to give credit to them both. But I loved it because not only is the name hopeful and celebrates positive parenting moments, it also gives recognition to my own parents who, in my biased opinion, did a pretty good job. I also know I was not an easy kid to deal with, so kudos to them for making it through my younger years. Okay, but before we get into today's topic, I wanted to share with you how I hope hope to start each show, which is to talk about things that we swore we would never do as parents, but yet we've found ourselves doing. So before I put any other future guest on the hot seat, I thought I would share one of my own parenting vices. So here it is. I swore I would not allow our kids to watch TV while they ate dinner, but have we done this? Yes. Do we continue to do this? Yes. Now, we do limit screen time in our house to no more than an hour of TV a day, so this generally is 20 minutes in the morning then 20 to 30 minutes in the evening, which is what the American Pediatric Association recommends for kids, I believe, under the age of four or five. Could be older, but I'm not exactly sure. So, of course, this this is how I justify it, and we really try to stay away from allowing our kids to watch videos on our phone or a tablet, but again, TV is really not all that different. But for us, it really has boiled down to routine and trying to make dinner. If dinner is actually made because I actually meal prepped on the weekend, then we can all eat dinner as a family. Or like what happened the other night, I made an overabundance of chicken so we would have leftovers. And the next day, my husband asked, where's the chicken? I then said, I thought you put it away. Then he says, I thought you put it away. And then we see our dog literally walk into the kitchen and walk right back out as guilty as can be. So this is our life. Anyway, more often we're getting home by 5.30 p.m. and they are starving, so I make a quick meal for them while also trying to make dinner for my husband and I, and P.S., yes, my kids do not eat what we eat. So the TV has become one of those crutches that we find ourselves using because it's easy. 
So sadly, I know what the solution is. And the days where my kids come home and they're filled with energy, I really try my best to sit them in the kitchen, have them help me make dinner or pull out an art activity where they can quietly draw or paint. But other nights, they're asking to watch TV, and I can just see the exhausted looks on their faces, and so I let them. So there you have it. I think this is a common scenario in most homes, and I will definitely not try to pretend that it doesn't happen in our house. Now, in the coming weeks, we're actually going to have someone on the show talk about how screen time can impact brain development. So I'm sure after this interview, I may need to take a different look at our after-school dinner routine. But for now, I'm not going to let myself feel too guilty about it. So moving on to our topic for today, I recently got a request from a mom to talk about toddler tantrums and hitting. Additionally, she wanted to know how to manage it without reacting emotionally. So since I'm pretty much living this developmental stage as we speak, I thought it would be a great one to cover. Just this morning, my son took his fork and started banging it on the wall. So we said, no thank you, Bodie, but he continued. So my husband walked over and took the fork from him. Well, my son literally lost his mind, ran into the middle of the room, flopped himself down on the floor, and just started kicking and screaming. So yes, hitting and tantrums are unfortunately all a part of the process of learning and development. It's not to say we should ignore it, but it is also all a part of the developing child. So why is this? Well, let's start with the brain. So many people have probably heard of the fight or flight response. This is our brain and body's way to help keep us safe when confronted with danger. What actually happens when the fight or flight response is triggered is the logical brain will actually shut down. People are unable to problem solve or have any sort of logical conversation when they're in a fight or flight response. So let's think about toddlers then for a second. Their logical brain, their thinking brain, is just starting to develop. Most toddlers do not have the language for how they're feeling, nor do they understand how irrational it is to get upset over receiving the orange cup when they really wanted the green cup. Now, how to help our toddlers develop this part of their brain is through language and staying as calm as can be. Easy, right? Well, no, not easy, because our brains are actually wired to mirror the response of others, and how we view anger or our own personal response to anger plays a huge role in all of this. So I would really recommend looking at yourself. Are, are you someone who reacts with anger with more anger, or are you someone who shuts down or withdraws? These are questions that are so important because kids mirror their parents' self-regulation skills. So if you're someone who really struggles with this, then I would highly recommend you either consider talking with a therapist or really think about what is triggering for you. 
Now, I would say that my work as a clinical social worker has really helped immensely when it comes to responding to my own kids' tantrums. As a social worker, I was trained in learning how to sit with others' emotions and respond with empathy. Again, this can be really hard to do, especially when someone is coming at you with some really big emotions. And the reality is we are not robots. We are people with emotions as well. I would also recommend reflecting on how you were raised as a child and how your own family responded to emotions or anger. Also, if you're still really struggling with keeping yourself together during these tantrum episodes, you need to ask yourself, are you practicing self-care, eating healthy, exercising, getting enough sleep? Are you having problems with relationships? Are you spending too much time on your phone? If you have checked yes to any of these, then it's time to examine what you can do to improve each of these things. My husband knows that if I'm starting to withdraw, it's because I haven't got myself out for a run or to the gym, and vice versa. If he's starting to lose his temper a little bit, I know it's a sign that he needs to go up in the mountains or or head to the gym. But going back to what to do when you're in that moment where your child is kicking and screaming on the floor. Well, ultimately with young kids, we want to first acknowledge their anger. So in the case of my son, I picked him up and I said, you are really angry because daddy took the fork and you really wanted to play with the fork. The goal here is to come from a place of empathy and helping the child link how they're feeling in their body with language. So as their language begins to develop, they can then say, I am angry because I wanted to play with a fork versus throwing themselves on the ground. We also want to reassure with our kids that having these feelings is okay. We want to avoid shaming or blaming them for feeling anger or any emotion that they're experiencing. Everyone experiences anger. So I'm going to be teaching a positive discipline class at a daycare in a few weeks, and I was prepping for the class, and I found this quote from uh, the Positive Discipline Early Educators Manual, and I thought it was so relevant to this topic that I wanted to share. The manual was written by Jane Nelson, Cheryl Irwin, and Stephen Foster, and they wrote, The opposite of being with is being without. When teachers or caregivers are uncomfortable helping children work through overwhelming emotions, this translates to child as don't have this feeling. And again, this, the goal here is to help children's children learn how to express themselves. When we send this message of don't have this feeling, then it turns into one of the four mistaken beliefs that we talked about in last week's episode. Now, when it comes to toddler hitting, we want to take a very similar kind and firm approach. First, acknowledge the feelings behind the hitting, but then firmly informing the child that hitting mom or dad is not okay. So if my son then went over to my husband and hit him, and he didn't, but he has done it in the past, we would have said something like, no, thank you. Hitting hurts and makes me sad. Now, I'll add, if your toddler's receptive language is not all that well-developed, meaning they don't understand much of what you're saying, actions will speak louder than words. So if they, they do hit you, you'll want to use that same language, but you may also want to leave the room immediately. If it was my three-and-a-half-year-old 
three and a half year old daughter who hit, I might calmly and firmly say, it is not okay to hit people. I am sorry you're feeling hurt and upset. You can talk about it or you can hit this pillow, but people aren't for hitting. I'll also add many parents get caught up with their, when their child hits, say another child or them with demanding an apology. I would recommend not doing this, but rather later when things have calmed down, talk to them about how saying sorry can make the other person feel better or how it's important to consider how another person is feeling. But again, not forcing the child to say sorry. I'm really amazed at how when we take this approach and you model it in the home, how much they really absorb it. The other day that my kids were roughhousing and my son fell down and my daughter immediately stopped and asked my son if he was okay. And then she said she was sorry. It made me so proud. So anyways, once you have validated your child's feelings while firmly setting the expectation, we want to provide an opportunity for listening. Now, my son, again, doesn't have the language to tell us how he's feeling, but my daughter does. So when she gets really upset, my husband and I really try to take time to listen and give her our full attention and find out what's going on. During this time of listening, we provide a lot of reflective listening. So, wow, so that made you really sad when your brother took your toy. Then when she feels heard and listened, we might provide some coaching or discuss solutions. So meaning, you know, what, what do you think you could do next time when your brother takes a toy from you? Then problem solve solutions for dealing with that scenario. So funny story, I was teaching a class one evening several months ago and my husband was in charge of bedtime. So all went smoothly until my husband asked my daughter to put her clothes in her hamper. Reasonable expectation that she knows is her responsibility and typically has no problems following through. But this night, my daughter had a complete meltdown and refused. Thankfully, my husband has been on board with the positive discipline approach. So rather than yelling or at her to put her clothes in the hamper or just putting the clothes in the hamper for her, he helped calm her down and then just came from a place of curiosity, asking questions that would help him understand what was going on. Well, my daughter's response was, there's a bear in the closet. Of course, my husband responded with, there's no bear in your closet. And then what happens next? Well, he opens the closet door and he sees a bear in my daughter's closet. Not a real bear, but a stuffed bear. The night before, he was not home, so I had put the kids to bed. Well, in the process of going to bed, my son pulled out this stuffed bear from the toy bin, which just happens, just so happens that my daughter is terrified of. So funny story about the bear. It was made from a leopard print, leopard fur coat that was my grandmother's, and my aunt had all these bears made for all the grand grandkids, and my gra- my daughter is terrified of it. Super thoughtful, but definitely a little creepy. Anyway, I had quickly thrown the bear in the closet, not giving much thought to it, just trying to resolve the situation. And then my husband, of course, had to deal with the aftermath of it. So moral of the story here is listen first. Try not to react to the anger or the behavior and really get to what's behind it. Now, I'll share a few other things that have worked really well in preventing tantrums, as well as what you can do to help 
when you are in that moment. So first, give toddler limited choices. At this age, they are living this inner struggle of dependence versus personal autonomy. They want so badly to do things on their own and make choices for themselves, but they are so dependent on us. So giving limited choices gives them and provides them this sense of autonomy. So this morning when it was time to get dressed, I took out two pairs of pants for my son and I said, do you want to wear the green pants or the brown pants? And he picked and end of power struggle. Also, give opportunities for teaching valuable life skills that help children feel capable. So these should be age-appropriate things that they can do within their own motor development. So if you pick something that they're not able to do, well, then cue meltdown tantrum. So in our house, our kids feed the dog, unless, of course, our dog has already consumed a week's worth of chicken, then we skip it. But for the most part, they it's their responsibility to feed the dog. Now, we had a lot of teaching, coaching, and showing on how to properly scoop the dog food and whatnot. But now we have it all worked out that my daughter does the scooping and my son carries the bowl to my the dog's mat. Also, spending special time with children each day really does help in limiting tantrums. This could be sitting on the floor, playing with blocks, coloring. Just make sure it's child-led and that you have their undivided attention during that moment. Now, we also do a lot of talking with our kids on how to help them calm down their bodies when they're feeling angry or sad. So we teach our daughter how to take really big belly breaths. We've, we've talked about blowing out the birthday candles. When she's in this moment of being really upset, I might ask her, what can you do to help calm down your body? Or if she's just so upset, I sometimes do not even say anything and I just start taking deep breaths myself. This is a great tool for parents as well, especially if you're finding yourself reacting to their emotions. It will not only help you calm down, but it also mirrors a healthy coping mechanism. Now, if you're really struggling and you're finding yourself getting really upset, again, we all do. It's totally normal. It's also okay to say to your child, mommy is really angry right now and I need to go to the kitchen to cool off. Again, it's modeling a healthy coping skill. When What I would highly recommend not doing is sending a child to timeout. So let's take a few minutes to talk about timeouts. Timeouts is the one thing that I probably hear being used the most by parents. And not once have I ever heard a parent tell me that they actually work, yet they continue to be used. So why is this? Well, it goes back again to what we talked about last week, which is parents feel responsible for punishing their child because it's the one way they're going to learn. Also, many parents just don't know what else to do. Now, in positive discipline, we, we do use something called a cool-off space or a positive timeout. Now, I would think of it more like a coping skill for kids and not a means to discipline a child. Uh, a young toddler is probably too young for it, and I would say my daughter, who's three and a half, may start to benefit from creating a cool-off space, but I really think it's more for kids ages four to eight years old. 
Jane Nelson wrote a children's book called Jared's Cool Off Space, and it's a great book and can also be found on Amazon. It helps the child learn how to create the cool off space and when to use it. In order for a cool off space to be used effectively, it really needs to be child driven, meaning if a child is really upset, you're not telling them to go to their cool off space. Rather, you're saying, What could you do right now to help you cool off? Would you like to sit here with me or go to your cool out cool off space? So there are a a lot more tools and suggestions on this topic, but to avoid making this podcast way too long, I would recommend visiting the Positive Discipline website for more tools. But I wanted to end with my favorite tool, which is I Need a Hug. Now, this isn't a tool that I've used this week, but it's one of the first tools I used after completing the Positive Discipline certification training course so I thought it was a good one to share now I literally had just gone back from being away at this course and so my daughter was obviously you know dealing with that and you know having me gone but when I as soon as I got home she wanted a snack but we were going to be going to we were going to be eating dinner. So I told her no, that it was going to be time to be eating dinner. She quickly got very upset and I knelt down to her level and I simply said, I need a hug. She resisted at first, but when I calmly asked again, she fell into my arms, cried, and then calmed down. So This follows this idea of connection before correction, and it's why it works so beautifully. And I think this is a great tool that can be used for all ages, even even teenagers, and I would say even especially teenagers, because at that age, you know, it's I think parents and children um, don't hug as much as as maybe they should, and so. If a child says, you know, no, I don't want to hug or, you know, resist, you can always say, well, I could really use a hug and when you're ready, I'll be in the other room. So not putting pressure on the child, but just giving them that space and opportunity to reach back out when they're ready. So I really hope you found today's show helpful and I hope you will join us again. So thanks so much. So thank you again for joining us for our second episode. I'm super excited about what we have planned next. I have lots of amazing guests lined up to talk about some really fascinating topics such as mindfulness, sleep, mental health, and also divorce. So if you have a topic that you're interested in hearing more about, please let me know. Or if you want to be a guest on the show, definitely reach out. Hope you all have a great day and I will talk to you again next week.